0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. And for those of you watching on YouTube, I'm Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth. And today we are going to preview the Patriots and the Titans on Sunday. We're also going to talk a little bit, and we hope that all of you had a good turkey day and a good Thanksgiving on Thursday about some of the games we saw yesterday mainly the bills and uh, news just trickled down that Tredavious White did in fact tear his ACL in that game for Buffalo and is now out for the season so that's a a big bit of news there in terms of the AFC East and how this will all shake out but I want to start with the Titans Alex and I hate taking opponents lightly I hate it I, I think it's it's stupid I think it's Uh, Any given Sunday in the NFL, uh, I think all those things are true. I think the Patriots learned their lesson back in week five against the Texans about taking opponents and quarterbacks lightly, and Davis Mills almost beat them and almost uh, put them in a 2-5 and hole. So I think the Patriots have learned their lesson in a lot of ways of taking an opponent lightly. But if you look at how banged up this Titans team is versus how hot the Patriots are and how healthy the Patriots are right now, there is not a statistical trend. There is not an area of the Titans roster that's outperforming any area of the Patriots roster right now, outside of Mike Frabel not being afraid of Bill Belichick being two and zero against Bill as the head coach of the Titans and the Titans being an intangibles type of team. They're a tough, hard nosed fundamentally sound, compete hard, resilient football team. It is really difficult to talk yourself into the Titans winning in this spot. It it just feels like this should be a Patriots win and cover type of situation. It does, but you know, the Patriots had the
1: more, what year was that? 18 or 19. I think it was 19, right? Where the Patriots went down there and they got smoked. They didn't just lose. They got smoked. Yeah. When the Patriots had a more talented team, Derrick Henry wasn't really Derrick Henry yet at that point, uh, I think Mariota was still tar- starting for Tennessee. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's Mariota, no AJ Brown yet. Right. Cause he was, a yeah. So, and
1: Mar- I mean, then you go yeah. back to the playoff game in in, in 19 is in uh, yeah, 19 and obviously the Patriots uh, had some internal issues going on at that point, but they were still a more talented team. I thought And Mike Vrabel has been able to kind of put Bill Belichick in a blender at times. He knows he has an intimate knowledge of what's going on in that building. And I think that, that's something the Titans can use to their advantage. Now, ultimately it comes down to the players. And I think that if the Titans don't have AJ Brown on top of this,
0: not a little bit of breaking news. I I know we don't have the, the the siren prepared, but the Titans uh, ruled out AJ Brown. He is not playing in this game on Sunday. So another no AJ Brown, no Derrick Henry, no Julio Jones, Uh, some of their secondary wideouts, if you will, or, or kind of set, you know, twos and threes. Uh, Marcus Johnson, who looked pretty good for them for a couple of weeks there, rookie uh, coming out, he's injured. He's not playing in this game. There, there's nobody for the Titans, like nobody. They, they have nobody no. on offense at the skill positions. And it's like I said, if it wasn't Frable, right, and if the Titans weren't punching above their weight at eight and three for a team that is uh, statistically not an eight and three football team, it's really difficult to find an angle of Tennessee can win this game if. Like, Tennessee can win this game if they play it this way or if if this goes that way or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a couple other big injuries here. I I think Rashawn Evans, who hasn't, I don't think he's played in a couple of weeks, but Rashawn Evans, a really good run-stopping linebacker and obviously not having him is a big deal. And then Jeremy McNichols not playing. I mean, they're down to two backs at this point. I don't believe, let me look here. Oh, they did sign Rodney Smith onto the practice squad, I believe this week. Yeah, yeah they it's signed probably going to be Deontay so.
0: Foreman who's kind of been the best bat that they've had uh, other than Mick Nichols since Derrick Henry went down. Well, it's
1: just a matter of, you have Dante Foreman, who's not bad, uh, uh, Dontrell Hilliard, and and then the practice squad back. Like, that's not a lot of bodies. Yeah. That's not, you know, I, I talk about this a ton, that at that position, it's as much depth as anything else. Um, and they don't really have that. And yeah, I don't know that they have the depth at wide receiver. You know, they added Golden Tate this week. I'm on record is saying i love des fitzpatrick i still do but i don't know about you know he's what is he their number one number two receiver right yeah, now golden i guess golden take coming off the
0: their one golden Tate coming off the practice squad might get 10 targets in this game right because without aj brown without julio jones and you look at what happened last off season, two to a degree and i know that johnny smith hasn't exactly been a, a hit for bill belichick in free agency just yet but Corey Davis and Johnny Smith both get huge contracts and they walk. They tried to mitigate that by trading for Julio Jones and now he's on injured reserve and Julio hasn't exactly been the player that they were hoping that he was going to be regardless of the injuries. So this Titans team was already a little bit shorthanded in the skill position groups as it was based off of what happened last off season, based off of the injuries in, in the season. Now, now no AJ Brown on top of that. If I'm the Patriots, I'm thinking, you know, that's the title of the show, right? The Patriots are at a point now because of this five game winning streak, because of where they are in terms of execution level and all that kind of stuff, where we should be expecting them to win this game. They're at home. Yeah. The Titans have nobody. Uh, The Patriots should be expected to win this game and now losing this game. I don't care how much they win by, right? I'm not going to get into, Oh, if you only win by three points, it's not impressive. A win is a win, right? But now they should be held accountable for winning a football game like this because the Titans are just decimated by injuries.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, you know, you look at kind of what they're doing. I think if you're the Patriots, the plan is early is easy. Get up early. Yeah. Because they don't, you know, they still have all their tight ends, but they don't throw the ball at tight ends a ton, especially down the field. Anthony Fersker is their leading receiver among tight ends 20, uh, sorry, 19 catches for 138 yards. I mean, that's not, you know, they're thrown underneath to those guys off play action. Those guys are the check down options off play action. So right. if you can get ahead and take the running game out, cause I do like Devonta, uh, uh, sorry, Donta Foreman, the offensive line's okay. I, they're banged up there as well. Um, yeah. But if the Patriots, like you just can't, it's almost like going back to the Falcons game. Now I feel like where that was the, the, the taking care of business game. Right. That's kind of what this is. Get up early, force them to be predictable, force them to throw the ball, and you should be fine. I think that's where you're at at this point. And just, you know, Mike Vrabel's a much better coach than than Arthur Smith. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. So just hope, you know, be on the offensive side of the ball. Don't turn the ball over.
0: Vrabel's, yeah, Vrabel's going to have
1: something dialed up, and and don't play in his hand.
0: Vrabel just seems to be the only thing going for the Titans right now. Is that his? Somewhat institutional knowledge. I think it's a little, he th- he played for the Patriots 20 years ago. So it's not like he has a ton of institutional knowledge, but at least some of it, he's not afraid to come in here and play Bill Belichick and play the Patriots. And like you said, this feels like a game where every trick play that the Titans have in their playbook offensively is in play on Sunday. They're going to, it's going to be really difficult for them to make yards on the offensive side of the ball just by, going head to head against these Patriots defenders, right? The Patriots are going to have a lot of advantages when they, uh, when the Titans have the football. So trick plays, uh, double passes, double reverses, uh, running backs, throwing passes, wide receivers throwing, you know, whatever they have, right. Whatever they have in that book, they're going to bring out. Now I want to talk about the Patriots offense against the Titans defense. The Titans defense has some injuries on it too, uh, but most of their main guys, it sounds like Harold Landry is going to play in this game. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is playing. uh, Bayard's playing. So they have most of those guys uh, on the defense side of the ball. This isn't an analytics darling of a defense. Uh, Football outsiders and DVOA thinks they're okay, you know, 12, 13, somewhere around there, and EPA and DVOA and all those types of metrics. So not an elite defense by the metrics, but this is a very hard-nosed, tough, sound-run defense, a group that you're going to have to execute well against and block well against in order to move the football. Stylistically, big-picture-wise, feels like a little bit like the Cleveland game. You mentioned the Falcons game to a degree, too, but Cleveland – they threw early to get up, right? Because they knew that if Baker Mayfield had to play from behind without play action and without the running game, because the Patriots were up by two touchdowns that that was going to favor them. So this feels like a game early on where you try to go pedal to the metal offensively and you try to build a 10 point lead and force Ryan Tannehill without anyone to throw to in a traditional drop back passing setting, come back and beat you. And that's probably a a long shot for the tech Titans in this game. So I kind of feel like uh, the only way the Titans win is if it's a rock fight, right? If it's 1713. So if the Patriots can get to to 24 points early, this game's going to be absolutely over by halftime.
1: And the way you do that is not turning the ball over because that's, you know, you mentioned the Titans aren't exactly analytics darlings, but they're, they're, you know, they've still been good this year. I'm just pulling up the numbers here. I mean, uh, you know, they're a decent, they're a decent scoring defense. They allow a ton of yards, but they're a decent scoring defense. They think you just can't give them extra opportunities. You can't turn the ball over because that's yeah. how they've been stopping teams. They've, they haven't been stopping teams by forcing them to punt. They've been stopping them by forcing turnovers. So if you're the Patriots, just take care of the football and you should be okay. You should be able to put points on the board and it'll lead to obviously what you were talking about.
0: Yeah. It just get up, get early, get a lead early I think Belichick said it. I was really glad he said this because I I wasn't 100% sure if if Bill was in this camp, right? But this morning he was asked about the running game being the Patriots' identity offensively. And he mentioned that you can only run the football if you run it successfully, right? If you're getting one or two yards a carry, then you can't keep smashing your head against the brick wall. And he mentioned that Tampa game earlier in the year where they just decided we are not going to be able to run the football effectively. Let's throw it out and let's drop back and pass. And in this game, I don't know if the Titans run defense is quite as good as what they saw with Vea and Sue in in Tampa Bay. But over the last six games, the Titans have only given up 84 rushing yards per game. And they're very, very good run defense. They're very, very stout run defense. They got good players at the first and second level their defense to go up against the run but the Patriots have a strength in the running game as well. So I I kind of pit this as a little bit of a strength on strength for the Patriots running game against the Titans run defense. I think if the Patriots can run the football on Tennessee effectively and, and lean on that area of their offense, that's really uh, bodes well for them coming down the stretch here that this run offense is for real and can do it against even good opponents.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say the one you, – you kind of mentioned a couple of things there. The one player that worries me on the Titans, is – I'm actually not worried about Bayard. I mean, he's a good player, don't get me wrong. But yeah, the Patriots have generally I, – I think Bill kind of has a beat on what he does and kind of knows how to negate him. Uh, Jefferson is a really good player. I mean, we've yeah. talked about all the damage Barmore has done in the middle this year and how tough that is to defend. Jeffrey, I mean, Sim is a similar player where he yeah. can wreck a game from the interior, go back and watch – uh, I don't know if you've watched this game, Evan, against the Rams, the Sunday night game, right, where the Titans went in there and blew him out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's in there forcing interceptions, forcing pressure, all that. So that's the thing to me. If they can neutralize Jeffrey Simmons, uh, I think they'll be okay because we don't have to worry about Bud Dupree on one side. You can pay more attention to Harold Landry on the other. He'd be the other player that kind of concerns me, but he's he's banged up. He's been banged up this week. Yeah. So um, I think it all starts with Simmons. I think if you neutralize Simmons, uh, neutralizing Landry comes with that. Um, And then I trust their ability to kind of just keep the ball away from Byard on the back end.
0: Yeah. Simmons was a guy that I had circled as well. Uh, You got to know where 98 is. They usually line him up as a three technique, but he can play some different spots on the defensive line, but he's somebody that has, The total package of explosiveness, vertical ability, right, to get off the ball and shoot gaps and also get in the backfield as a pass rusher in a hurry, get off off the line of scrimmage. But he's also got some really nice upper body strength as well. So if they want him to park in a gap or if they want him to two gap against a run, he can do that, too. So he's a really good player all around. But it's that get off and that explosiveness, the early penetration and the pressure up the middle that makes you worried about a guy like Simmons. I do wonder early on in the game if maybe they try to trap him a little or something like that and use his aggressiveness against him. Right. Make him think that he's unblocked coming through the line. And then you have, uh, you know, Trent Brown or Shaq Mason clean his clock. Right. And and see how he how he does the rest of the game after that. Simmons is one of those players that when you look at pocket passers like Mac Jones, the edge rush, they can mitigate that with drops and with getting the football out quickly. Somebody like Harold Landry, you, you can scheme around, right? right. It's really difficult. It, it, you can scheme around it in terms of blocking. Cause you can, you could get two bodies on Jeffrey Simmons cause he's inside, but it's a really difficult the schema around interior pressure or middle pressure and if i know mike Vrabel as he has in the past against the patriots with brady and i think they're going to look at this from a tennessee perspective and look at it basically like the brady offense and that mac is just brady right. but younger obviously not as good but uh, somebody that is plays a similar style of football And I think they're going to line up two guys in the A-gaps. I think they're going to line up Jeffrey Simmons in the middle of the defense, and I think they're going to try to get that interior rush. They're going to try to generate pressure up the middle, and that's how they're going to try to disrupt this team. I remember in 18 when the Patriots played them, and probably a little bit in 19 as well, that was a big part of the game plan for Tennessee was those double mug, front, uh, the A-gap mug uh, look, right? We have two stand-up linebackers in either A-gap Then you have a nose tackle right in the middle there. And you have a kind of a three-man game inside there against the interior offensive line. And that gave the Patriots and Brady all sorts of fits back in 18 and a little bit in 19 as well. So that's going to be interesting how the Pats handle that, how they block Simmons, but also assuming that guys like Rashawn Evans, for example, can potentially play in this game. He's someone that can rush from on the line of scrimmage too. And maybe they bump Harold Landry inside a little bit also and stand him up over the guards or over the centers uh, to try to get interior pressure as well. So that's going to be the game when the Patriots have the football is can they block it up in the middle of the line there? Because guys, uh, Trent and and Isaiah Wynn, this is not their game. Right, like they got to survive, but this is not really their game. This is going to be on Karras, Andrews, and Mason against all the different looks that Vrabel throws at them in the middle of the defense. I want to talk about the running backs.
1: Well, hang on, actually, real quick on Karras. I just, and this is credit to you because we've been asked a ton on the show why Karras is playing over on Wenu. Yeah, and you brought up two weeks ago, whenever it was, I don't know. Yeah, you you brought up that the value in Karis is he's played center and he gives you that extra set of eyes. And, and he sees the game like a center. He can help communicate, which is especially right. valuable with the young quarterback. You, I, I don't remember when you said that like two weeks ago, but anyway, Bill was asked about it today. He said that almost word for word, what your theory was. So, I mean, it was a good theory. I bought it at the time, um, but it just, I, 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 people ask us all the time. So I feel like we should point it out. Uh, you know, you can go back on the Patriots website or actually I think it's on the CLNS channel. Um, what Bill said this morning, but a really interesting answer about why Ted Karras is in the lineup, and I think that that's something that is especially relevant against the way the Titans will likely play the Patriots this week defensively.
0: We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface, even more odds. Props and contests. Bet online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, you look at the interior pressure. One of the blitzes that gave the Patriots all sorts of fits in the beginning of the season. Was they were wrapping in the guys on the line of scrimmage were wrapping inside and the off ball linebacker was blitzing and twisting with those uh, into form a stunt right of the middle and the Patriots are having all sorts of trouble passing that off right they they just couldn't figure out how to pass that off inside. Ted Karras comes into the lineup and that blitz has not been a problem since, right? The the Falcons snuck a few guys into the backfield off from the defensive backs, right? From the secondary blitzing, but first and second level pressure, they've done a really nice job of getting hat on a hat more times than not in those types of situations. And that, that definitely uh, points to the fact that you have essentially three sets of eyes because you have to count Mac Jones in that set of eyes as well. Right. So you have Andrews right. making the calls, you have Karis quality checking Andrews, and then you have Mac quality checking everybody. Right. So you, right. it kind of goes through three different people uh, before it gets called. And then you also talk what Belichick talked about this morning, which was post-snap reactions, right? Cause you can't always call out every blitz or every stunt before the ball is snapped and say, oh, this, this sun's coming. This blitz is coming. Sometimes you have to react to it on the fly. And Karis has a great awareness and, and uh, just great IQ. Once the ball is snapped to be able to react to those types of looks that they're throwing at them. So it's been a, a glue guy. For their offensive line, 100. He he's kind of brought this whole thing back together. I think Isaiah Wins played a lot better as a result, a, as well with Karis next to him instead of Mike wenu And it's it's a bummer that they have to take a guy like wenu off the field because he's so talented, right? I mean, he's right. such a good player. But at the same time, you can tell from a communication standpoint, and from just a being on your p's and q's standpoint, right? Get, having sure making sure that every I is dotted and T is crossed. Uh, Having Ted Karras in there has really uh, changed a whole lot about this offensive line. Let's talk about the backfield and the splits that we're going to see uh, with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. Damian Harris was asked about this today. Donnie gave a pretty good answer and just in terms of if Ramondre run, runs well it helps me run well not only because it motivates him to run hard but it also spells him and gives him more energy to go out there damian harris played like this in at alabama right alabama always had 10 different running backs that they would cycle in there and he played with josh jacobs he played with a bunch of different guys uh Kenyon drake i think was was there at that time too so he's pretty used to being in a committee, but how do you feel that this committee is going to shake out going forward? Are we ever going to see one guy pass the other? Is this always going to be Ramondre gets 12 carries and Damien gets 10, right? You know, basically an even split.
1: I mean, that's what it should be. I I think if they start leaning one guy, you know, maybe if there's one game, one guy's a better matchup. But I think if over the span of multiple games, they start leaning heavily on one guy, I think that's a mistake. I think that's alarming because, the thing about these power backs and don't get it confused, obviously Damian Harris and and Ramondre Stevenson can move around a little bit, but the thing about these power backs is the fresher you keep them, the more effective they can be, you know, it's, you know, just chipping away, chipping away throughout the game. And when you have this defensive front, that's taken blow after blow after blow and your running backs maybe haven't doled out as much. And they have a little bit more in the tank. That's going to help you late in the game. It's kind of what they did in 2018 with Sony and Rex. So, yeah, I, I think they I think they will continue to split the backs relatively evenly. I think they should continue to split the backs relatively evenly. I know people don't want to hear that because it doesn't help their fantasy team, but boo-hoo, nobody cares. It's the right thing to do and they should keep doing it.
0: Yeah, I could that, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. Can't can't sum it up any better than that. It's the right thing to do. There, there's no reason you have two good backs. Is Ramondre Stevenson got a little bit more wiggle, a little bit more elusiveness, maybe a little bit more game breaking ability than Damian Harris. I would say so, but there's no reason to put all that load on Ramondre Stevenson just because maybe he's a little bit more dynamic as a ball carrier than Damon Harris, who's a very good running back in his own right and somebody that can really get downhill and and really uh, be effective in this scheme. I want to wrap it up on the offensive side of the ball, go back to Mac Jones for a second here. And I've seen in the chat, a couple of people said it in my Twitter mentions when I dropped my preview for this game, that the Patriots should try to run the football against the Titans defense. And I think running the football early is a mistake. I really do. I think this Titans defense, if they got one thing really going for them, it's that they are a physical stout group. If you go up there and you try to run the football 60% of the time, or that's your goal is to really dominate in the run game. I, I think it's going to be a, a low scoring game if you're going to do that. And I, I think it's going to be difficult to move the football. If you look at what they've given up over the last couple of weeks, take the Texans game out of it because Houston is on offense. They're just, they're garbage and it's a totally different offense with Tyrod Taylor, right? I mean, it's just totally different. If you look at what they've given up in the passing game, there are opportunities certainly to throw the ball down the field against this team. And, just a few weeks ago, we saw last night, Alex, Trevor Simeon against Buffalo, and, and and that was terrible, right? I mean, that was a terrible quarterback game. Two weeks ago, Trevor Simeon threw for almost 300 yards against this Titans defense. So... I do think Mack can throw against this team. They run a bunch of different coverages. Uh, they do run some single high cover one. They do run some three. They do run some two. So you got to have a good feel of uh, your post safety uh, split safety looks. And if you can get some over on them, like the saints were able to do, then, they have some tendencies that you can attack, and the Saints really had a nice feel uh, of the coverage beaters that they could dial up against the different types of looks that Tennessee was going to give them. And as I mentioned, two ninety-eight and two touchdowns uh, for Trevor Simeon in that game a couple weeks ago. And I refuse to
1: believe Trevor Simeon through for almost. Just side note, I refuse right. to believe That's Trevor Simeon. Saying threw for almost 300 yards in a game. I will never forgive Trevor Simeon for last night. I would like, it was a really good day of football. It really was like, say what you will. I enjoyed the Bears-Lions game. As like a first game of the day, it was close. You know, there were interesting players making plays. Like I enjoyed that game. Obviously, aside from the flags, Cowboys-Raiders was good, but it was competitive throughout the game, which is fun. And then Trevor Simeon just shows up. And does what we all do on Thanksgiving after dinner. But the difference is we do it with the bathroom door closed. He did it on national television. And I thought maybe the Bills would lose. And oh, what a great Thanksgiving this will be. And he goes out and does that. There's no need for Trevor Simeon. The NFL should be beyond the use for Trevor Simeon. You know, everybody said, oh, maybe Bill can't coach without Brady last year. Well, then you better think, you, you better be calling for Sean Payton's head. Because if he thinks Trevor Simeon is the answer
0: over anybody, I don't know what was I've up heard, with, with I, we went Taysom. Over Trevor Simeon's his third option at best. He oh. wanted Jameis. Jameis got hurt. Taysom Hill's his guy. Taysom Hill's also hurt. He and was in they, uniform last night.
1: He clearly wasn't hurt that bad. He or, was their emergency backup. He had a foot thing going all on. All right, well, and, that was an emergency. At halftime, that was clearly an emergency because that was a disaster. That was a certified disaster the way Trevor Simeon was playing quarterback last said I mean, it was gross. Get Drew Brees out of the booth at that point. They should have yeah. signed Cam when they had a chance. The fact yeah. that, that it Sean Payton thought it was okay to put that guy in a quarterback in a meaning National Football national football League game, and I like Sean Payton. I do. I actually always thought he was a good coach. He's I may have to reevaluate that. I may have to reevaluate that. He's that a great offensive it,
0: Trev- And as I said, Trevor Simeon, 298 and two touchdowns against this Titans defense a couple of weeks ago and then the Titans run defense been one of the best run defenses in the league for about 6 weeks now. So I I, w- I want Mac to cook. I think he should throw the football. I'm not saying that he has to drop back and pass 50 times, right? The idea is to be efficient in the passing game early so you can build a 10, 15, uh, 14 point lead and then run the football, right? Then you close out the game with the backs. But when you start early and you start fast, with the passing game, taking some of the things that the Saints did in that game a couple weeks ago without Alvin Kamara. Uh, obviously, no Michael Thomas for New Orleans right now either. So they've down a few guys and they still were able to move the ball through the air. So that's what I would look for. Sean Payne's a good offensive coach, Alex. I, I know that Trevor Simeon played like, like butthole last night and it was frustrating as a Patriots fan. Because the Bills did cough it up twice. I mean, in that I'm, game. I'm exaggerating a little bit for a fact yeah. there. yeah, but Sean Payton's a good offensive coach. So if you're going to borrow something from an offensive coach, I'd much rather look at what Sean Payton did than let's say what David Cully did uh, last week with the Texans. Uh, then let's let's take a page out of New Orleans's book instead. Okay, I think that that's a, a better idea. And uh, I, again, we talked about it early. Uh, built earlier building a lead is the key in this game putting the titans in a huge hole forcing ryan Tannehill to f- climb out of it with the skill players that he currently has at his disposal you do that by throwing the football you do that by throwing the football and getting up early with the passing game and they can close it out in the second half with the running game let's turn over to the offensive or defensive side of the ball excuse me for the Patriots, no A.J. Brown. Uh, we've said that a few times, but it bears repeating. No A.J. Brown for the Titans. No Julio Jones for the Titans. No Derrick Henry for the Titans. Now, looking at some of the past matchups the Patriots have had, it's funny how this this is sort of taken on this, uh, this life of its own here, this season, Alex, of the Patriots facing this LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay-style offense almost every week. Right. They, they got it last week against Atlanta with Arthur Smith, who's the Titans old offensive coordinator. They got it the week before with Cleveland. Uh, they got it with Carolina to a degree. They got it with the Jets at the beginning of the winning streak. It's funny how all these teams are running this system. The Patriots seem to have a great feel for stopping it now right? They, they've they shut down outside zone. Uh, they shut down play action. So more of the same, right? Uh, run the, the exact same game plan out there that you had last week. This it's a very, very similar schematic offense as what Arthur Smith is running in Atlanta.
1: Yeah. And I think given everything, you know, the option at his disposal, you know, Matt Ryan's better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. But he doesn't have yeah. a Kyle Pitts. So, or Tannehill, Tannehill doesn't have a Kyle Pitts. So I think it's, a situation where if you can get to 10, I, I wouldn't mind if they were a little more blitz heavy in this game. I, you know, they don't need to be the 2018 Patriots sending it every other play. But um, like I said, I think, you know, the quickest way for the Patriots to, to make this a game offensively is to turn the ball over and get in trouble that way. Um, I think the flip side of that is if you're the defense and you want to put this away quickly, force turnovers and Ryan Tannehill just doesn't handle pressure. Well, he really doesn't. So, I you know who are you worried about on the back end again there's no Kyle Pitts here so yeah. you know who are you worried about on the back end that's going to kill you I'm not saying again I'm not saying zero blitz every play but right. this a week I wonder if the Patriots try to it took them what was it almost 3 quarters before Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan fully cracked last week and he wasn't it's yeah. not that he was playing great but he was picking up yards here and there and he wasn't turning the ball over that was the big thing he wasn't turning the ball over um, and it took them until five minutes ago in the third quarter when they got that first pick. And then obviously the floodgates opened. But I wonder if they try to speed up the process a little bit more this week and maybe just bring a little bit more pressure and try to see if they can bait Tannehill into some interceptions early on.
0: Yeah, it's funny because you look at the splits. Ryan Tannehill has one of the biggest discrepancies of efficiency off of play action versus not play action, right? His play action yards per attempt is 9.7 without play action. He's at 6.4 yards per attempt. So he turns into a short, inefficient, uh, lacking of explosiveness or creativity of any kind type of passer. When you take play action out of the equation, if you just turn him into a traditional drop back passer And when they don't run the ball effectively and they don't sequence it together effectively on first and second down, you will turn this in to Ryan Tannehill in the shotgun with three receivers to one side and one receiver to the other side. And it becomes a spread passing game, just like with Baker in Cleveland and just like with Matt Ryan to a degree as well last week. And he's been terrible all year long off of uh, just traditional dropbacks no play action, no smoke and mirrors, no uh, misdirection or any sort of uh, trick for the defense and just trying to go toe-to-toe. You also throw into that, no A.J. Brown, no Julio. You know, There's nobody even right. to throw to. So it, this should really be a, a game where the Patriots, again, if you can stop on first down, that, that run play-action sequencing like they've done a really good job of so far this year, then I I have no idea what the Titans think they're going to be able to do to move the ball trick plays, uh, I suppose, is probably going to be in, in, uh, you know, like we said earlier, double passes, receivers, throwing balls, throwing back to Ryan Tinnenhill, you know, whatever they can come up with in terms of trick plays is probably going to be the answer. Uh, And like you said, don't give them short fields. Don't uh, play good sound in the kicking game. Don't give him big returns to short the, shorten the field or don't turn over the ball offensively to shorten the field. And it just force Tannehill to beat you in a spread game and, and out of the gun. And this is going to be a blowout. Now, you look at this offensive line from Tennessee. Everybody talks about Derrick Henry, right, in the absence of Henry. And he's a, an offensive line neutralizer, right? He can run pretty much against any uh, behind any offensive line. This Titans offensive line has not been as good as it's been in years past. They've been a little bit banged up. Uh, Taylor Lewan hasn't played every single game this year. Their left tackle is a very, very good player. But they have given up the most sacks in the league. Uh, they're one of the worst pass protection lines in all of football. I know that the Patriots are going to line Matt Judon up over David Quisenberry, the right tackle, and he's played someone that's given up seven sacks already this year. Uh, so that's a matchup that I would look for um, in passing situations. The Patriots trying to get – Barmore and judon over on the right side away from Lawan, and have him go one-on-one against quistenberry uh, who's not very good in pass protection and you look at the, how the patriots have played as a, a defensive front in the last month plus right the last five games uh, this could be another really ugly game in terms of the patriots just dominating in the trenches because this is not the titans offensive line of a year or two ago that was one of the best in the league
1: yeah yeah, and and again, that kind of goes back to my point where make, make them beat you with what they can't do, and that's where I go to the blitz because you're talking about a team that, with play action, longer developing plays, behind an offensive line, and they developed this offense behind an offensive line that was much better than the one now. I'm putting it on the offensive line to win this game for the Titans. Like, if I'm the Patriots, right, if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm scheming this up, all right, well, how are the Titans going to have to beat us with this game? Like, let's make a game plan where they need the game of the year from their offensive line to beat us. Like that's, I'm putting this all on the offensive line. And Hey, if they all have a career day, they all have a career day. Sometimes that happens, but I'm attacking the, the, you know, as much as we talk about, they don't have the wide receivers. They don't have the running backs. Cool. They don't have those guys. I'm not as worried about them. I think if you have general football philosophy and this, I I guess this is kind of a, a no brainer, but like if you have less at the skill positions, the defense is less to worry about. They can attack more at the offensive line. I think every, any defensive coach, if you ask them would like to attack, you know, put as much stress on the point of attack, as much stress on the offensive line as possible, right? If you knew you had five skill position players who couldn't catch the ball, couldn't run, couldn't move. You'd blitz 11 guys every time. Cause why the hell not? So I think this is a game where you kind of just lean on that philosophy and it's just put all the pressure on the offensive line and see what happens from there.
0: Yeah. He hasn't, he 10 has got good numbers against the blitz this year, but that's, with AJ Brown and with Julio Jones and a lot of those numbers, I'd have to look and see what the splits are in the last three weeks. Right. I don't know if the, those numbers would go down, but he has been good against the blitz. Well, he this he year. struggled against the blitz last week. Yeah. So maybe that, that is a factor of, of the early season numbers inflating the number overall between now, but where he's really struggled, uh, just reading off uh, here, uh, the under pressure numbers uh, in general yards per attempt. He's been sacked 31 times this year, 31. I mean, that's a huge number for a team that's trying not only to have a good offensive line and play well up front, but their scheme with the bootleg actions and the moving pockets is designed to not give up a ton of sacks, right? I mean, this is not a, a scheme that usually lends itself to 31 sacks through 10 or 11 games, whatever it is the Titans have played so far. So you look at, his numbers against the blitz, 8.8 yards per attempt against the blitz, but only 5.3 under pressure. So that tells you that teams are pressuring him without blitzing. Now that could mean, it, it could be some simulated pressure, right? Where they put five guys up on the line of scrimmage or they blitz somebody from another spot, but they only end up sending four, right? And you kind of right. uh, muddy it up that way and confuse the offensive line that way. But that this uh, Titans offensive line, Tannehill under pressure, as you mentioned, uh, not been the same group that it's been in the past, probably a, an indictment on their receiving group as well. And the fact that they don't have uh, as much of their firepower as they did a year ago. I think it was really, uh, the Titans have squeaked away. They're eight and three and they've survived without it. But some of the moves that they made in the off season uh, ended are now kind of coming back to haunt them. I would say a little bit in terms of where they invested their money. They allowed Corey Davis and Johnny Smith to walk. They signed Bud Dupree to a pretty good contract to come in and add to the pass rush. Uh, it, it, It hasn't really necessarily worked. Right. You know, uh, Jack Conklin was another player that they let walk uh, recently on their offensive line. He's now in Cleveland. Uh, A lot of these moves that they've made over the last offseason or two have really come back to bite them now that they've had some injuries and stuff like that. And they don't have the depth. Right. In terms of what they're able to do. Um, A good point in the chat as well screens a big part of their offense right they're gonna to try to yep. screen you a little bit so you have to be ready maybe don't that.
1: blitz too much maybe i'm overselling that
0: <laughs> I, I don't i wouldn't worry too much about the screens because the, the pay when you put that much screens on tape the patriots have something ready for it right You know, that's they're, true, they're, yeah that, that's good they're gonna be prepared for that they're gonna be in the back of the head what i would be more concerned about is the unpredictable nature of an offense that's so shorthanded. I don't know. We tried to talk to ourselves into Atlanta, putting together offense last week. Remember a few weeks ago when they played Carolina, we were talking about PJ Walker for like 20 minutes. On the I show. still
1: think that was justified. <laughs> I still, I think we were proven right that we, yeah. I mean, could he have been that much worse than Sam Darnold was in that game? Like people were calling for Walker by the end of that game. All we said was, You'd rather face Darnold than PJ Walker. I think we were right. right.
0: Yeah. We, we've tried to hype up opponents. It's tough to hype up this Titans team right now uh, with how little well, they have. So I'll give you this one. There's, I think I,
1: I sent this to you. There's this really interesting clip from Nick Saban um earlier this week. And basically for those who don't follow college football, uh, Alabama is really good this year. As usual, they're in the college football playoff race. They only have one loss. It was early in the season. Um, and basically people are mad that Alabama's not beating teams by enough. Uh, they yeah. beat LSU, who's not very good this year. Although side note, they might get Lincoln Riley, which Lincoln Riley recruiting in the SEC would be very interesting. But um, yeah, they only beat LSU by a couple points. points. Um, they struggled with Arkansas early on in that game. They kind of pulled away late and basically fans are pissed. They're saying, you know, how are you taking these opponents lightly? How are you barely, you know, not blowing out? these seemingly inferior teams and Saban was on, he was on his weekly coacher show and he got kind of mad and yeah. he basically said, Hey, look, these other teams, like they have players who have families and friends and they don't want to get embarrassed. And they know this is their biggest game of the year. And they like, every time they play Alabama, they know they're on that national spotlight. You're going to get their absolute best. They may not look as good other weeks, but they know that's their chance. And I think, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick shares the same sentiment. I know this isn't exactly where you were going, but I just found it very interesting because sometimes Saban will say stuff and I wonder how much of it we can attribute to Belichick. And, you know, like Belichick after the Falcons game says, oh, they played competitively. Or the Patriots getting ready to play the Jets early in the year. And he's like, you know, the Jets are a good team. Yeah. I I think that's what Belichick means when he says those things. And I think, you know, that's how you kind of have to look at this is where are the Titans the most dangerous in this game? right, to bring it back to this conversation, where are the Titans the most dangerous in this game? Uh, this is essentially a national TV game, right? It's a, it's a week one o'clock slate. There's not a ton of one o'clock games because you had three games on Thursday this week. So it's basically a national game. Everybody's counted them out. They're still the one seed, but the season's very quickly, like slipping away from their fingers. The Colts got the win last week. That division's getting close. This is a pride game for them. Yeah. This is kind of like, if they lose this game, if they lose this game, they're pretty much written off. Like, I don't know how many people will be into the Titans. I've been one of the biggest Titans people. They were my sleeper to, to, to get to the Super Bowl from the AFC.
0: They're, they're about right if Derrick Henry stayed healthy.
1: Well, you know, half. I, I think I put the injury, obviously put the injuries. Yeah, everybody's got injuries. But no, um, you, you, your point is spot on because this is what yeah. I was basically saying at the beginning. And then, well, the just show. real quick, just real quick. And then you add on to that, you know, a team that's super motivated, one of the best coaches in the league and a coach – in this specific matchup who knows the other side intimately And Mike Vrabel, that is a little bit dangerous. That is where the concern is. I think.
0: Yeah. This is exactly what I was getting at at the beginning of the show was the angle that you could sell yourself with the Titans is that Vrabel is coaches very, very tough against the Patriots, right? He's beat them twice in the two matches that they've played since he became the head coach down there. You mentioned the 18 game was a blowout down in Tennessee, uh, the Titans beating the Patriots in that one. And you talk about the nobody believes in us angle. And Belichick was probably, I would say, the guy that taught Mike Vrabel how to play the nobody believes in us card, right? You know, that, right. that was the guy back in 01, early on in the Patriots dynasty, That that that's a card that Belichick plays all, even now. Right. 18, they basically won the Super Bowl on the nobody believes in us mantra. Remember, Brady yeah.
1: gave that interview. Nobody thinks yeah. we can win. So we'll Where see what happens. Right. Yeah.
0: So I guarantee you that on Saturday night, before the game, when they have that team meeting, uh, the Tennessee Titans do in their team hotel down in and on Route One somewhere or Boston or wherever they're staying, Mike Rabel is going to put up on the screen the national analysts pick them right you know espn or whatever and it's gonna have every single person picking the patriots to beat the titans and he's gonna say see nobody thinks we can win this game might as well not show up might as well not even try right and he's gonna have his guys ready to play that that, that's the angle the intangible angle of this is not one on a spreadsheet as much as i love the math and as much as i love all the analytics and talking about all of it that Football is, not, is a bunch of human beings that's on right. a field. That's right. And, and in this game, that cannot be more true because the Titans have absolutely no business winning this football game. None. They and have that's nobody, what going to tell them. Right. They have nobody healthy. They're the inferior team. The Patriots are the hottest team in football. They, I wrote they're on the surface of the sun right now in terms of how hot they are, the Patriots. I mean, they on all, in all three phases of the game, you could not be executing better than what the Patriots had over the last five games. And, and that's the one angle is Rabel's going to play it up and Rabel's not going to be afraid. Rabel's going to have some trick plays. Rabel's going to tell his guys to, you know, you, nobody believes in us. You got to shut everybody up. You got to take the world by surprise. And, and maybe the Titans can do that because they are a team that has followed uh, the personality of their head coach since he became the head coach there. They are the, a team that is very, very, very locked into Mike Rabel. Right. And he's somebody that really does dominate that locker room. So I'll
1: give you a very interesting comparison here. Um, Remember 2016 Patriots Thursday night football against Texans, And they were, they were down like three receivers they were down some linebackers, and they only had one quarterback on the roster, Jacoby right. Brissett, at that point, because Jimmy hurt his shoulder, and Brissett had a broken thumb, and everybody basically knew it, that he wasn't going to be able to throw the ball. I think he only threw the ball like seven or eight times in that game, right? And they go in, and they shut out the Texans 27-0. That was a game the Patriots should not have won. That was a very good Texans team in 2016. Patriots shut him out without a quarterback. Guess who the linebackers coach was for the Texans that night? Mike Rabel. That's right. If I'm Mike Vrabel, I'm pulling that game up. Yeah. I'm pulling that game up and saying, hey, they did it. They yeah. did it. And now, look, you got everybody talking about Patriots, Bills next week, and what a big game that'll be. Right. They're overlooking you. Like, the yeah. greatest – Just it, it's not totally relevant, but I mention it whenever I can because it's a top-five Belichick moment of all time before Super Bowl 39 when he talked to them in the hotel and he he gave them – yeah, 39 – when he talked to them in the hotel and he just read them the Eagles parade route and kept yeah. saying like you know in case you want to go in case yeah. anybody's interested like that to me is what Vrabel's going to do that yeah. that to me is what he should do
0: yeah i i agree he's going to put up Dan Orlovsky or whoever it is on ESPN talking about how great Mac Jones is and how Mac Jones is the second coming of Brady and all yeah Vrabel knows what he's doing he's learned from the best he understands now th- all we're saying is, is not necessarily that the Titans are going to come in here and pull off this upset, but if you're the Patriots, you got to be aware of that, right? You can't right. take the opponent lightly. You can't take them for granted just because they are banged up and they don't have anybody coming in here to play other than Ryan Tannehill and a couple guys on defense you got it still go out there and take care of business and take them seriously because they do have some talent. Uh, they do, they are very, very well coached. Uh, they do play hard for their head coach as well. And it's a resilient group. That's what Devin McCourty said on Tuesday, right? He said the thing that's impressed me about the Titans the most is they are a very, very resilient group that they have not caved. A lot of teams would cave when you lose Derrick Henry and you lose your best player. That'd be it for a lot of teams. Right. A lot of teams would say, well, we don't have Derrick Henry anymore. We don't have our MVP. There's no way we're going anywhere this year. Let's tap out. The Titans have not tapped out. And you got to give them some respect for that. Anything else on this game? I want to talk about the Bills game a little bit and uh, the Thanksgiving Day games. But anything else you want to wrap it up here? Uh, No, that's pretty much it. All right. We did it. All right. So, uh, did we discuss the weather? Uh, that, that's one angle. Uh, it's right? supposed
1: to be, I mean, it's going to be cold. I guess that's an interesting angle. It, it's supposed to be,
0: yeah,
1: 45 degrees throughout the game. I actually looked this no, up it's yesterday. It's not that cold. Well, so it's cold. it's going to be a so we were asking Mac Jones about this this week because Mac yeah. grew up in Jacksonville, played college football right. in Alabama. Uh, they don't play non-conference games north that you know, you know, in the Northern part of the country. So yeah, this, this is an interesting kind of, you know, as we go here, Max never yeah. he claimed it was, it was 38 at practice on Wednesday and he was, it looked like he was wearing the scuba suit. Um, he claimed he's thrown a football in colder conditions. It's possible, yeah. but um you know, it's supposed to be clear and all that, but the cold, seeing how Mac reacts, the cold's going to be interesting because he's never really dealt with it before. Then again, Brady came, well, I guess Brady came from Northern California, but he was at Michigan, so he's yeah, he's in Michigan. Comp,
0: yeah, he was in Michigan. Yeah, Brady definitely experienced it. But I think the one thing that you do see, with Mac, and, and I'm not saying that I believe this, but the draft narrative obviously was about the arm strength, right? Was he going to have that zip on the football? Well, it's much harder to drive the football down the field in cold conditions. It's obviously, right? I mean, it's, it's the same in any sports like baseball. Uh, when it gets cold out, it's harder to hit the ball out of the ballpark, right? It's the same right. thing with football. It's harder to throw the football in the cold and have that zip. So, yeah, we're going to learn a lot about Mac Jones in terms of how he can play at the end of the season. Right? We, well, we know, right. we know he's good in, 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 uh, in warm weather. We know he's good in fall weather as he's played well in, in this month. But uh, as it gets into December and January, now they have what they have this home game. They got
1: Buffalo. They're in they, Buffalo and that game, it might Indy, snow.
0: Yeah. So Indy is a, is a dome. So dome. They don't, have, don't to have to worry play. about that. Yeah. yeah. Then they have Jacksonville at home. Um, they do have Miami down in Miami. So that yeah. game is in the heat. Um, but, yeah, the Buffalo game, this game, that Jaguars game, which they'll probably win anyways just because it's the Jaguars. But uh, you look at some of these games against the better teams, like Buffalo and, and, like, Tennessee on Sunday, the weather could be a factor.
1: Yeah, yeah, I just, you know, it's going to be interesting to to see how Mac handles that. But the other thing I would say, there's all this talk about Mac and the cold and maybe bigger picture, that's a big deal. Um, but as it relates to this year's team, and we just talked about it earlier, we saw them do it in 2018. When it gets yeah. cold up here, it gets much easier to run the ball, especially when you have backs like Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson and how physically those guys run. So there's going to be some help as it gets colder, as Mac learns where he's going to be able to run on the lean on the running game a little bit more because they'll just be able to give the Patriots a little bit more.
0: Yeah. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts' premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I N S A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re engineered the cannabis model. From what they sell to how they sell it, while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or RECO for hanging with friends. INSA has a world-class head chef too, and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the INSA founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, INSA. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston delivery in two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, INSA.com or 877-500-INSA. All right. I don't want to quickly touch on this game um, last night uh, for the uh, Bills who beat the doors off of the hospital saints. That's what I, I called them because they pretty much had nobody also, but looking at Buffalo, uh, there was a couple of things I thought were really interesting in that game. Obviously Josh Allen uh, turns it over twice more, even though he threw four touchdowns in the game. He also had two interceptions, but I look at uh, this sort of the book on this Buffalo offense, because I think it's going to be a really great matchup. I do uh, between the Patriots defense and, and the Bills offense and the Patriots offense against the Bills defense is good too. But looking at this from Allen's uh, perspective and the Bills offense, Alex, the Bills are an 11 personnel team. They are a spread offense. They don't care about running the football. They're not good at running the football and they're not going to try to run the football a ton against the Patriots in the two matchups coming up, but they will spread the field and the Patriots over the last couple of weeks in in this, five game winning streak. And again, on Sunday against Tennessee, have played a lot of teams that put a lot of beef on the field, right? They play with a lot of teams that like to run their offense out of 12 personnel that want to run the football. Uh, they use play action a lot. That's not Buffalo. Buffalo is, uh, we're going to flood the field with receivers. We're going to spread it out and we're going to play you that way. So I'm interested to see how the Patriots handle a little bit of a different opponent than what they've beaten so far. I guess maybe you could say the chargers are a little bit like Buffalo, uh, that that that's kind of the way that the chargers play as well but the one thing that you can definitely take away from that game last night with the saints you cannot play man coverage against the bills you you just can't i, I looked at the numbers this morning josh allen averaged 12.8 yards per attempt against man coverage last night 12.8 against new orleans uh his, They got good receivers. It's really difficult to match up with Diggs and Sanders and Knox and all those guys in man all game long. Allen's got legs. He's got mobility. It's very difficult to contain him in the pocket. He can extend plays and make man coverage, defend for longer. Uh, This is a team that you have to play zone against them and take away the big plays. You just can't play man and and let him dice you apart um, by letting his receivers gain a lot of separation.
1: Well, and good thing the Patriots have been playing a lot of zone, I guess. Yeah. Right. And, and Josh Allen struggled against zone. It's not that that he's just been good against man. I think you could argue he's been bad against zone coverage. So I think that game plan at this point is pretty clear, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crystal clear. You look at what the Colts did running the football too, and I know the Bills had a defensive line coming to to Jesus type of meeting or something like that after the Colts game to let's not let that happen again type of meeting, right? Uh, what right. they gave up on the ground against Indy, but Looks like Indy gave you the blueprint, right? You play zone yeah. on, on defense, uh, cover two, cover three, cycle through those, try to get Allen to hold the football, try to get him to anticipate throws over the middle of the field and throw a touch and in timing instead of just seeing guys open against man coverage and rifling it downfield. And then you obviously run the football against his front. Tredavious White out for the season. I wanted to hit on that as well. From a matchup standpoint with the Patriots, an outside corner uh going down for the year, maybe not the most important thing, right? I mean, maybe not. Right. But I think that you look at how Tredavious White and how that defense runs through Tredavious White a lot of the time in the secondary. But I actually think their secondary – I think Micah Hyde and Jordan Jordan Poyer – are, are a lot of that backbone as well, uh, the way that the Bills play defense with their safety rotations, the one-high, two-high stuff. I, I don't know how much, in specifically in matchups against the Patriots, uh, Tredavious White's injury means. Now, in the bigger picture sense, in terms of long-term for Buffalo and winning down the stretch in, in other matchups, maybe it matters a, li- a lot more in terms of when they go up against teams that have better outside receivers.
1: I mean, they got the Bucks. They right. got the Bucs in two weeks. So, you know, I'd even say the Panthers, the way, you know, if, if Cam's giving them a little bit, guys like Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, you're going to want a good outside corner. Um, and then the guy, I mean, they closed with the Falcons and the Jets, so I guess whatever. But, yeah, yeah, I I think that's a pretty big loss. I mean, I got a text from a friend last night who's a Bills fan. Just I actually, I had the Egg Bowl on when that play happened. I just got a text from a friend who's, who's Bills fan goes, well, there's the injury, congrats on the division. So that kind of tells you how Bills fans feel about yeah. it. Um yeah, maybe not as big of a head-to-head loss. Although at the same time, they could have used Trey White on Hunter Henry in the red zone. They did some no. of that stuff, and and that's obviously a big loss. But um, in terms of the overall, I mean, it's more than the head-to-head. If they, especially because they're more likely than not to split those games, so you look at you know who's going to steal a game somewhere down the stretch, and I think Tampa is a game the Bills could potentially steal. That's a lot harder when you don't have Tre'Davious White.
0: Yeah, I think that that game really is a bigger one, uh, maybe, for the White injury. If you're the Patriots, though, I, I think Davius White going down, like I said, I guess you know now Nelson Aguilar maybe has the potential to have a bigger game, or Kendrick Bourne, or Nikhil Harry, or whoever they play as the secondary outside receiver, uh, that player would have a bigger chance of having a game to go against the depth. Of that Bill's cornerback room. I, I haven't done a ton of studying on the Bills just because Patriots haven't played them yet. I don't know if their depth at corner is all that great. So maybe their fourth corner now has to play, right? And, and because they are right. a nickel defense for the most I don't part, think,
1: I don't think they have great depth. I'll tell you right now, I'm pretty sure yeah. they don't have uh they got Dane Jackson, Taron Johnson, Cam Lewis, Siren Neal, Levi Wallace.
0: Yeah, That's so Le- Levi Wallace is their number two, right? He's a good player. Um, he's more of a slot corner yeah, he? yeah he's like a, he's like go up again well they play a lot of zone so it's, it's that's
1: true okay yeah
0: Either, there's no i mean there's a draw they don't like when the
1: patriots had gilmore and jackson like they don't have they don't no. have that they don't have no. that kind of guy waiting to step in
0: yeah it's Look, it it doesn't hurt, right? It doesn't hurt in terms of the Patriots' outlook here. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt. Uh, Teron Johnson's their nickel guy. Uh, he he's really good in in the slot too. Uh, it doesn't hurt that they don't have Tredavious White by any means. Uh, but I, I don't know. I I think that it's it. I, if if you had told me that the Bills lost, you know, uh, last week, for instance, against Indianapolis, uh, the Bills play without Tremaine Edmonds and they gave up 250 yards rushing, right? You know that right. that that seems to be. Uh, if you told me that they lost a guy in the front seven, like Edmonds or Oliver or uh, you know Mario Addison or or one of their big guys in the middle of the defense, I would have said, oh well, that 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 means something or Hyde or or uh, Jordan Poyer. Uh, the outside corner, uh, it stinks for Buffalo. It stinks for a good player. Uh, I don't know if the Patriots necessarily benefit all that much from it in the matchup standpoint. Okay. Um, and, and the Dallas Raiders game, I just really want to quickly get this off my chest. The amount of penalties that was were called in that game uh, was a disgrace to, to the NFL. Right? And that last defensive pass interference, that's definitely pass interference. He made contact. Uh, he had his back to the to the ball, didn't turn and look for him, and then initiated contact. But the point is, is that we are seeing a high number of games. In my opinion, I don't have the stats to back this up. This is just a field thing. We are seeing so many games decided by defensive penalties, right? I mean, look, look at that Bears game, right, a few weeks ago against right. Pittsburgh. You know that game gets decided, like, Marsh and all that stuff, <laughs> just bogus right and i just don't want the refs deciding the games that's it and i get that you can't a pass interference is pass interference and you can't not call it and all this well I, don't call it so tightly right i mean in terms of the entire game i would say let them play a little bit it's just infuriating to see these games get decided at the end of uh regulations so often by, oh, well, here's a 30-yard defensive pass interference penalty on third down, right? I mean, it's just killer. Yeah, but I mean,
1: like, that was a penalty. You could argue Zay Jones makes that catch, has the ability to make that catch if the corner has to turn around and make a play on the ball, right? So it's it's hard to, like, where do you draw the line, right? Where do you draw the line? And it's unfortunate, but it also feels like the way that, that offense have been baby the last couple of years, defensive technique has fallen off. So the NFL kind of did this to themselves. How many corners in the league really know how to defend that play? So I just, right. I don't but know. That one didn't bother me too much. This I think is there's too many lo- flags overall, but.
0: Yeah, this is actually low key. One of the best things that the Patriots do is play the ball from out of phase. Like the Patriots never get called for those DPI, not that, never, but they, they hardly ever get called for those DPI's because the problem for Brown, the Dallas corner is that he's playing outside leverage. He's playing the cross or coming over the middle of the field and he's playing it from a trail technique or an out of phase position. So if he looks back for the ball, then he's toast, right? I mean, it's like, uh, when you have a base runner in baseball trying to steal second, you say, don't look in, right? Don't, don't peek in at the catcher because that slows you down. When you look at sprinters, when they come off the line, their head is straight forward they they and they are really uh, head down trying to explode out of the gate there. Same thing with cornerbacks. The second that you try to teach guys, okay, in order to not get flagged, you have to turn your head and look for the football, that's when you get burned, right? That that that's when you get burned from that position. So they can't turn around, then the ball gets underthrown and the receiver works back to the football. So in a split second, you have to decide you have to slow your entire body down and and, and make an adjustment there. And so I don't blame the officials for making the call because it was the right call. I just think the way that the rules are written and the way it's being officiated makes it almost impossible for some of these defensive backs to play defense. And I, I think that that's a, a really a detriment to the game in general. But that's my rant on on that game. Uh, we preview Patriots Titans for the first forty five minutes or so. Of the the injury
1: report just came out.
0: Okay. Give me the injury report. Then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Nobody
1: ruled out for the Patriots, uh, four, five, six, seven, 10 players questionable, including Barmore and Brown. Uh, yeah, there you go. Everybody practiced today.
0: So everybody practiced. Nobody ruled out. You got to think that the Patriots are going to be extremely healthy. Um, they're very healthy for this late in the season for, I was going to say for
1: week 12, like I always feel bad, you know, when I write about the injury report, I do always feel bad to say like, you know, things are relatively good relatively good injury news for the Patriots. Cause you never want, you know, guys are dealing with this and that, especially when there's head injuries in there. You never want to say it's relatively good, but in the world of football to have 10 players questionable in week 12, all yeah. of them practicing. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. A lot of teams, I look at what's going on on the other side, right? A lot of right. teams would give a lot to be in that kind of situation.
0: Yeah. So let's hope the good health continues for the Patriots and, So often, Alex, these NFL seasons, sometimes it's not the most talented team at the beginning of the year. It's a war of attrition, right? It's the team that stays healthy all year long the team that's healthiest and playing its best football at the end of the year it's certainly setting up for the patriots to be one of those teams that is doing just that at the end of the season here and with good health so we will have you covered uh myself clnsmedia.com on sunday from gillette patriots titans alex on 98.5 the sports hub patriots titans coverage there as well and then we'll be back on the podcast on Tuesday to recap this game against Tennessee, and then next week, obviously the Monday night showdown with the Buffalo Bills. We'll take a look at the Bills later on in the week as well. That's going to be a lot of fun, Alex. I know the Bills fans—they've been chirping uh, basically since last year, right? Uh, since, they since stopped.
1: This- they stopped two weeks They're ago. Very, Although I got some chirps last night. Very quiet. What is, hey, gutless people. Gutless people, the Buffalo Bills fans there. I had uh, Bills fans calling me crying at the yeah. last Sunday after they lost. And now last night, all of a sudden, Josh Allen threw four touchdowns. And that was a real nice screen touchdown. He threw plus the other one at Dawson Knox with a corner fell over. Let's talk about the pixie through. Let's talk about the pixie's been throwing. I'm ready. I'm ready for next week. I am so. Re- Do you remember a couple years ago, the Lamar Jackson game? Do you remember that yeah. when I went to war with the Ravens fans? That's nothing compared to next week. I am ready to go to war with the entire city of Buffalo. Let's go. You put up a billboard <laughs> on Route 1, you put up a billboard by where you I grew up. It.
0: Let's freaking go. Let's you bring, let's bring it. it. Bring it. Bring it, Buffalo. Let's go. Want war. I remember my first year going to Buffalo in 2018 for the game. I wasn't wearing any Patriots gear. I was covering the game. I was wearing nice clothes, you know, uh, dress clothes for the game uh, to to be in the press box. They somehow knew that I was a road team reporter. Oh, I told you. Just because I didn't look, you know, they didn't recognize me or something. Right. And they started attacking me, not like physically. I just mean, you know, verbal harassment. Right. On my way into the game. I don't even know how they knew I was a Patriots reporter. It was hilarious. I agree. The billboard was premature. We've got to get them back for that. Uh, Full disclosure, Alex and I both went to school in upstate New York. So we have a lot of friends that are in Bill's mafia that are Bill's fans as well. So it's uh, it's always a good time to have these arguments with them. We'd said it the other last week uh, when they lost to uh, Indianapolis. Buffalo crowned themselves. They crowned themselves last year. A lot of people, not just them. A lot of people
1: crowned them and they ran with it.
0: Yeah, they crowned themselves. Uh, They allowed the NFL world to crown them. They allowed the NFL world to crown uh, Josh Allen. And they thought that they were going to win this division in a landslide for the next 10 years. And they weren't going to have any competition. And they were going to easily win it and go to six Super Bowls and all this kind of stuff. And now look where we are now right? We're in a dogfight for the division. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week. Alex and I will break that one down at the end of the week, Tuesday recap show, Patriots, Titans, but until then signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody. We'll see you next week.